I took a week off. I didn't take a week off life. I just took a week off doing uh, Bible studies I had. I did have a week off work. My wife and I are celebrating our one year anniversary. And boy, has it been a year. It's been a good year. It's been a long year. It's been a hard year. And it's also been a fun year. Rocking straight in to Luke chapter 11. This is the second part for this chapter because it just, there's a whole lot. And and diving into Luke chapter 11, there's this section in my Reformation Bible, which is the English Standard Version. There was this section on prayer that I just personally wanted to read. In the Reformation Bible, there's footnotes at the bottom of it. What makes the footnotes awesome is that it's just a bunch of commentary, not just from one person, but from dozens of people. So it's it's immense, it's awesome commentary that is a collective, it's collective thought. So in a non-negative way, kind of like a hive mind where like, a bunch of people are working in sync together towards a goal. And so at the beginning of the Bible, um, way at the beginning of this Bible, I mean, it has lists of names and and people who are all involved in it. And just a list of people with, I mean, PhDs, you know, I'm literally looking at a list of dozens of names from Old Testament contributors to New Testament contributors regarding the commentary at the bottom. I mean, people, Reformed Theological Seminary, Westminster Theological Seminary, Gordon-Conwell Theological Seminary, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School, Reformed Theological Seminary. I can go on and on. Dozens of people. That's what makes it cool. So these little excerpts I read the excerpt on prayer that they're talking about. And there's awesome references. There's biblical references and script, uh, scriptural references throughout it. But a lot has happened in Luke chapter 11. I actually went through yesterday because um, last week was Easter week. So, you you know, kind of laying low, resting, getting my mind right, preparing as I move forward in the book of Luke and through Acts. The um, Lord's Prayer is how Luke chapter 11 starts off, followed by Jesus Invisible. A lot, a lot has happened. Uh, I, I actually went through chapters 1 through 10 yesterday and kind of revised myself on everything kind of that we've learned, that, that I've learned in the past several weeks. And just diving deeper into who Jesus was, because the more and more you can wrap your mind around who Jesus was, it'll help translate into why everything happened in the way it did after he left. He's already foretold his death multiple times. He's been performing these miracles that are seeming to get more outlandish as the ministry goes on. The ripple effect of his fame is really cascading throughout all the land of Judea. And even Herod, who is Tetrarch over Galilee and the region that he's performing a lot of these miracles in, at least 80% of his miracles being performed in and around the land and the, and the Sea of Galilee, uh, or Gennesaret is what I think it's called. 
or that's how you say it. And so he's pulling people from Herod, the Tetrarch, who's Roman Empire representation in the land of Judea in that area. He's he's pulling people even from his household, which you know is a is a, is a not a good thing. He's essentially to the Romans raising an army, and with how he's doing it in this religious way, the Hebrew hierarchy, the high priests of the time, which was Annas or Annas and Caiaphas. He's just, he's causing this stir and it's hard to not see it as a rebellion because he's bringing a new law against the old law, but then he's gathering people who are forming this new way of living, which is not necessarily compatible with the Roman way of life. And so he is going to face the consequences or there will be a cost to following Jesus. So after the passage regarding Beelzebul and and Jesus had a great um, talk regarding John the Baptist and what he thought of John the Baptist and how people just didn't understand who he was. And then it goes into a conglomeration of passages ending into chapter 12. One is a return of an unclean spirit. One is true blessedness. One is the sign of Jonah. One is the lamp of the body. And then last is woes to the Pharisees and lawyers. These are also known as teachers of the law. And we also have our version of lawyers today and what we think of lawyers today and the commonality. A lot of people don't trust lawyers. Um, and so not trusting the lawyers is, is imagine... Jesus coming today and gathering a bunch of lawyers, there'd be a, a huge level of skepticism on the validity of who Jesus was without following him just by seeing, oh, well, he walks with lawyers and he talks with lawyers and you know, he walks and talks with people who, with strippers and, lawyer, and, and people in our society that we may generically look down upon. It's not good to judge anybody based off of their occupation, but there is just a generic against the grain energy when it comes to certain occupations and what the mass kind of stereotypes about certain occupations. It doesn't make it right. It's not about it being right, but that's the stigma that Jesus held specifically when they referenced tax collectors, people who weren't necessarily beloved by their communities. So moving forward, not to get too hung up, uh, I'm going to start with Luke chapter 11, verse 24. And it's a return of an unclean spirit. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. And finding none, it says, I will return to my house from which I came. When it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Then it goes and brings seven other spirits, more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person 
was worse than the first. So, hmm. Honestly, anytime Jesus is talking about unclean spirits, uh, exercising demons, those are things that are so overlooked by the modern person because we write off mental illness like it's nothing. We write off issues, not physical ailments that can be seen, but the things that are unseen. Typically, when people are referencing unclean spirits, spirits aren't necessarily things that are seen. You can, an evil spirit can lead to the convulsion, it can lead to the, the things that are seen. But for the most part, spirits and what lies in someone's heart and, and the corruption of people's minds is stuff that, because our sciences have are so seeming to be so far from even comprehending how truly the mind works and how thoughts work and maybe even the pursuit by some to figure out how to manipulate those thoughts and train those thoughts and train the brain for better or for worse. Because our science today, we rely so much on science as God versus science as the explanation of God, that we can lose a lot. We can, we can lose, we can get hung up on a lot of things, spirits being one of them. People would rather just not believe that hell exists, and people would rather believe that spirits don't exist and that demons don't exist. But when Jesus is confronting demons, and, and not only demons and, and temptation like he does, when he's coming across the slanderer in the wilderness right after his baptism by John the Baptist, but when he's approaching demons head-on and the, and the demons inside people. The one man had legion, many demons. Mary Magdalene had seven. And him for releasing the demons from them purging the demons from them and then leading them towards forgiveness and salvation and giving them grace and mercy and being kind to them and loving to them. That is the power that Jesus has. So when we read about spirits, it's just, it, it needs to be taken with such severity because it's interesting it's he's a teacher he's a healer we have those today we have teachers we have doctors we have healers but when it comes to demon possession and cleaning and unclean spirits people in in pop culture today really try to fray from that talk because it makes you sound loony or crazy but Jesus is speaking of unclean spirits at this point in time So, one of the footnotes is house from which I came. And this is Jesus saying this. Jesus is saying that, that this is what the demon says. This is what the unclean spirit says. When the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest. Meaning... 
us as the host, humans as the host, we are mostly water. Waterless places. And when it finds nothing, this is the demon speaking, or just a, a, an evil spirit, an unclean spirit. I will return to my house from which I came. And the footnote down here says, the demon talks about the place he left as if he still owned it. Because that's how addictions work. That's how temptations grab a hold of you. The, the addiction claims you. And it's like a parasitical relationship or a slave-to-master relationship. Oh, you can't go another day without smoking that cigarette, without watching that video, without drinking that drink or talking to that person you shouldn't be talking to or going to that place you shouldn't be going to. And it rules people's lives and it ruins people's lives. And that's how sin works. And when it comes, it finds the house swept and put in order. Meaning maybe this person's been living cleanly and trying to do what's right and trying to live right. But then that spirit goes and it brings seven other spirits more evil than itself and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. And when you look into the form of what relapse is, someone who's abusing drugs or cocaine and someone's abusing a drug like that and then they're just living life and don't think it's wrong, but then they start, they start to see the effects, the nightmares or the anxiousness or the lack of money and then all of a sudden they want to get clean and they get clean for a little bit but then they relapse and now they're not only doing that they're they're adding to it they're partying even more because the giving up on themselves or 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 coming to terms that this isn't my house this is my addiction's house and and I'm a failure. And you f- you start forfeiting your free will to your addiction. You start forfeiting your all your God-given gifts. Your peace. Your joy. The things that are truly good. You start forfeiting those things for the temporary highs that addictions can give you. Whether it's through sex and sexual immorality whether it's through substance abuse, whether it's through impure thoughts, impure actions, things you know that aren't good for you in the long run, but they feel good for you in the short run. It's a lot. This is a a deep, heavy passage. This is something that me as a teenager and, and even in my early 20s really struggled with a lot of these things. And I still struggle today with a lot of things, but they're different things. I struggle with a lot of different things today, being in my later 20s, upper 20s. 
but the fight the fight against sin still exists but when i chose to get baptized i chose to stop losing those battles i decided i don't want when when i know that evil spirit leaves I, and i'm aware it's going to bring seven more you can create boundaries in your life and routines in your life that that help keep those out because there's new and the reason is because there's new battles on the horizon there's bigger badder enemies trying to come at your front door trying to burn your house down if you're fighting the same demons you've been fighting since you were 18 those are those are small puny weak demons that's not to say that they might not be kicking your butt but more are just going to keep coming seven more are going to come and it and that's why it's so important to be wearing the armor of God and really leaning on God to help you in, in helping in allowing Jesus and the Holy Spirit to help you clean house and get rid of everything and go through those seasons of praying and fasting and meditating religiously and consistently. It's a form of discipline that is lost to this generation. Moving forward, true blessedness. As he said these things, a woman in the crowd raised her voice and said to him, Blessed is the womb that bore you and the breasts at which you nursed. But he said, Blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. Some of the repetitive things that Jesus says, you know, he, he talks about, his mother and brothers, someone says, your mother and brothers are here to see you, your family, your blood, your relatives. And he says, my mother and brothers are those who hear the word of God and obey it. So for him, he's saying, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. That is a repetitive message. He, see, he says a lot of repetitive things regarding obeying, regarding faith when it comes to healing. Your faith has healed you. Then there's the sign of Jonah, which I, uh, Billy Graham has a phenomenal sermon. It's, it's one of the greatest sermons ever preached. And, and his, his North Carolina accent just rings true in my head just even reading this passage. The sign of Jonah. <laughs> but... He says, when the crowds were increasing, he began to say, this is Jesus talking. This generation is an evil generation. It seeks for a sign, but no sign will be given to it except the sign of Jonah. For as Jonah became a sign to the people of Nineveh, so will the Son of Man be to this generation. The Queen of the South will rise up at the judgment with the men of this generation and condemn them. For she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon. And behold, something greater than Solomon is here. The men of Nineveh will rise up at the judgment with this generation and condemn it. For they repented at the preaching of Jonah. And behold, something greater than Jonah is here. Jonah was one of the most renowned prophets of the Old Testament. People remember Jonah and the whale. So much happened during his 
time and all of the lost prophets, but him speaking. And, and we, we've had Moses at the transfiguration. We've had Elijah. Jesus references Jonah, Isaiah. So there's this great renown because he's a Hebrew. He's a Hebrew man from Nazareth, born in Bethlehem, consecrated, circumcised on his eighth day of life, along with his cousin John the Baptist. He he went through the purification process. He was blessed by Anna and Simeon. When he was 12, he went... He made the track with his family to Jerusalem every year. It's not an easy track. It took days. Being in the temple of Jerusalem. He was a devout man, a devout, devout to his people, devout to his religion, but he saw the evil, the people as evil. There was there was evil in the generation. people that needed saving, people that needed a release from their unclean spirits. And that's what we see today. If your answer to everything is a pill, a pill to make you happier, a pill to make you less sad, a pill to help you sleep, a pill to make you more awake, a pill to make you feel less pain. If that's your answer to everything, there might be something not necessarily wrong with the chemicals in your brain, but a lack of faith in the peace that Jesus should bring be bringing you and the peace that the Holy Spirit should be educating you on. But there's arguments, and I hear them. Well, I trust science, and God made the doctors who make the pills who make me happy, so I'm going to trust the science that, you know, God would want me to take these pills to make me balanced and feel good. But you're not drinking enough water, and you don't really have community, and you're not really in the best of shape, and you don't really do much. following Jesus there has to be a life there has to be a transformation beyond when Jesus says to the devil during the wilderness man shall not live by bread alone if, if that's the case man definitely shouldn't be living by pills alone I'm very grateful even amidst my chaos and insanity that I never got hooked on a specific type of pill, but I had friends that were, and I've lost friends. And most people have today have lost people from overdoses or taking too many pills or the wrong pills, and it's 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 devastating. If man isn't meant to live on bread alone, anything that takes away from your sobriety, not that Certain medications can't be used as crutches to get better, but just as crutches are, you wing off of them 
You use them to build your strength back. And I'm not, I'm definitely not against that. People hear me and go, oh, he's against medicines. No. Medicines are like crutches. If you break your leg, I don't expect you to be walking on it the next day unless Jesus touches you and heals you miraculously and and your leg is scanned and your leg's no longer broken because you've been healed by Jesus. But if the case is your leg is crushed or needs surgery, be on the crutches, do the rehab, and then get off the crutches. Put the crutches in the closet and get off them. Give them to someone else who needs them. And that's how I feel about medications. 15 years on an antidepressant. That's at least 14 years too long. The lamp of the body. No one after lighting a lamp puts it in a cellar or under a basket, but on a stand, so that those who enter may see the light. Your eye is the lamp of your body. When your eye is healthy, your whole body is full of light, but when it is bad, your body is full of darkness. Therefore, be careful, lest the light in you be darkness. If then your whole body is full of light, having no part dark, it will be wholly bright as when a lamp with its rays gives you light. The note here is the people seeking a sign did not need more light, but better receptiveness to the light they already had. What God was doing in Jesus was plain enough. Lastly, I'm going to end with this passage. is rather long, but very, very important. We talked about woes. <laughs> I kind of, I feel like I kind of butchered it. Like I said, I'm learning as I'm going through this. This isn't me as like, oh, I've been doing this 20 years and went to seminary and learned from the greatest. And I've learned from from some great minds, some great preachers. I've lucky, I've been lucky to brush shoulders with some amazingly smart people, very uh, much smarter than me regarding biblical topics, but I'm just a guy who's reading my Bible, and that's what this is. It's a Bible study. It's a shared experience. We're learning. We're growing together. I'm very excited to dive into the aftermath. I have already read the book of Luke, but but rereading it, it's been great. But I talked about woes not too long ago, and, and it's that meaning of like sorrowful, and it's not meant to be like negative, but it's it it is meant to be not good. Like it's not it's not desirable. A woe is not something that you long for. A blessing is what you long for. A woe is something you hope to not cross paths with. While Jesus was speaking, a Pharisee asked him to dine with him. So he went in and reclined at the table. The Pharisee was astonished to see that he did not first wash before dinner, as was Hebrew custom. And the Lord said to him, Now you you Pharisees, cleanse the outside of the cup and of the dish, but inside you are full of greed and wickedness. You fools! Did not he who made the outside make the inside also, but give 
as alms those things that are within, and behold, everything is clean for you. This hits me so hard post-COVID, post the global pandemic of 2020. Because so many people got obsessed with cleaning to a point of bleaching with bare hands. Yet, habits of eating junk food and fast food and drinking and smoking and drug use and sexual immoralities and seeing things on the internet. There's this fight against porn that is so huge for not only kids, like young kids seeing harsh, gruesome porn, but it's beyond even that. There's just gore. There's there's things on the internet that's even far surpasses how grotesque certain porn can be. Watching two people have sex, period, can be weird and off-putting to someone who's focusing on purity and clarity. I said, I don't want to envision it if it's not me and my wife. I don't want to. I don't even want to picture it. But there's people who get numb to that, and then it gets worse from there. Of not one, but many, or all the same sex, or all different sex, or all both sex, or whatever it is. And that's just pornography. Then there's the gore. There's like videos of people being murdered, or bestiality that's just available at the fingertips. And there's people who look these things up. There's a popular comedian who I listen to on a podcast and he's talking and he's a shameless person and he's talking about these things. And like, I almost just like, I I, I literally had paused the podcast for a moment just to kind of like register what he was saying. I'm like, Oh my gosh, this guy's like shameless about he's laughing hysterically about, these videos that I hope to God I never see. When I was growing up, there were videos that the internet was new. I'd go over to a friend's house and there'd be a group of guys around a computer and they'd pull something up that was just so, just to see the shock value. And those things are not meant, those, those are not good, pure things to see. Those things will numb you. They'll numb your soul and your spirit and they can corrupt you. But some of the things that kids are seeing today far surpasses just because of the mass amounts. Me seeing a grotesque video when I was 12 that, that honestly scarred me and caused, caused a, a road of, of pain and suffering in its own way. It's just, it's insane that kids that are 12 today, it's not just that one video, it's millions. Millions of videos and rabbit holes to go down that can just... It's awful. And so we have this pandemic where everything's so clean on the outside, but the inside was uglier than ever. And the media reflected that. But woe to you Pharisees. For you tithe mint and rue and every herb and neglect justice and the love of God. These you ought to have done without neglecting the others. Woe to you, Pharisees, for you love the best seat in the synagogues and greetings in the marketplace. Woe to you, 
for you are like unmarked graves and people walk over them without knowing it. One of the lawyers answered him, Teacher, in saying these things you insult us also. And he said, Woe to you lawyers also. For you load people with burdens hard to bear, and you yourselves do not touch the burdens with one of your fingers. Woe to you, for you build the tombs of the prophets from whom your fathers killed. So you were witnesses, and you consent to the deeds of your fathers, for they killed them, and you build their tombs. Therefore also the wisdom of God said, I will send them prophets and apostles, some of whom they will kill and persecute, so that the blood of all prophets shed from the foundation of the world may be charged against this generation, from the blood of Abel to the blood of Zechariah, who perished between the altar and the sanctuary. Yes, I tell you, it will be required of this generation. Woe to you lawyers, for you have taken away the key of knowledge. You did not enter yourselves, and you hindered those who were entering. As he went away from there, the scribes and the Pharisees began to press him hard and to provoke him to speak about many things, lying in wait for him to catch him in something he might say. And so the conspiring of what they're going to do with Jesus, their envy, their jealousy, their unwillingness to consider change, their unwillingness to stop cleaning the outside of everything and start cleaning the insides of themselves, their unwillingness to be forgiven or to forgive, to show mercy. Hmm. There's a lot of stuff in here. and It's so hard when, when I read through a chapter because I want to dive into each verse. I want to dive so deep into each passage. and That's what's great about a lifetime is that you can spend a lifetime doing it. You can re revisit certain passages and different moments and times of your life and they'll mean something completely different. The, 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 the story's not going to change. But the, how it hits you, how it makes you feel, can change. Your appreciation for how Jesus says what he says and, and why he says what he says. And to who he's saying what he says. Those things will hit you differently. You, there, there's a verse that really hit me hard, and I want to try to recite it. I don't remember the exact verse, but... It's Jesus saying, essentially, that those who are forgiven little, love little. Which means, those who are forgiven a lot, love a lot. And that is exactly how the scripture is alive and breathing. Because of how it can change you and transform you and Keep, you can keep learning from it and through it throughout your life. People who have the least bandwidth for compassion and mercy and grace and forgiveness, those are people who haven't been forgiven. Because when you've genuinely been forgiven of your sins, 
and you feel the weight of addiction leave you and the weight of past transgressions and you're able to forgive your enemies and love your enemies. I still feel at that in some regards. There was a woman not too long ago who was threatening me and who wasn't very nice to me and who wasn't treating me as a Christian should treat someone. And that that hurt. That was heavy. And I, I carried that with me for a few days. Just a random stranger, someone I'm trying to help, and she just couldn't be more evil. And, and that, that hit me in a really strange way out of all the people I've been able to assist using you know my, my talents and skills in life. And this is the first woman out of hundreds who's been just mean about it. That was weird to me. But hey, if you're bearing the weight of your own sin, I don't expect you to be giving me any grace or mercy or, or love or compassion. Because those who haven't been forgiven can't love to the extent as those who have been. Those who forget who have been forgiven little, love little. And those who have experienced the true grace and mercy and forgiveness that Jesus offers by ridding sin, those people, it'll be a love like you've never seen before, a love that you've never felt before, and surely a love that you've never experienced before. And that's it. Next, next up is uh, Luke chapter 12. So have a good day and God bless.